HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Time for Lunch is a new podcast from HRN for curious young eaters, where we focus on the serious questions. Aren't chickens tiny dinosaurs? We get to know our favorite foods in unexpected ways. We just like cheered like you would cheer for your classmate when they're round in second base in softball. And we just like, peach, 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 peach. Yay, thank you, peaches. Learn some new recipes and jokes. What does a boxer's mom put in his lunch? A knuckle sandwich. And load up on fun facts. Experts estimate that there are between one and 2,000 types of insects eaten around the world. So roll up your sleeves and dig in. Subscribe to Time for Lunch on your favorite podcast app so that you and your favorite young eater can catch up on the whole first season. New episodes of season two out each week. and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. My name is Aaron Foster. I will be your host for today. And today is going to be the last day that I'll be your host uh, as I go sort of emeritus uh, and pass the torch on to the next generation of radio personalities. Um, But I am pleased to have with me a friend and colleague, uh, Laura Logos Downey. Uh, Laura is the co-owner cheesemonger, um, Jane of all trades, cheese buyer of the uh, Fairfield uh, and Greenwich Cheese Company, uh, as well as an e-commerce business, where uh, which they do sort of subscription boxes called the Cheesemonger Box. Um, Fairfield is uh, just, just an amazing cheese shop, uh, and it's founded by Laura and her partner Chris uh, in 2009 in Fairfield, Connecticut, and just last year, if you've done the math already, celebrated their... Uh, 10th anniversary in business, which uh, if you listen to my show and you talk and you hear um, the the dramas and, and, and tribulations behind the scenes, you know that's a, a pretty remarkable milestone. Um, so there, uh, this this week we're really going to focus on on what it's like to be a, a full service cheese shop uh, in the time of COVID and 
what it's been like for Lara and uh, what we sort of anticipate, what she anticipates and uh, the future looking like. Cause I, you know, we, we're, we're going to call this, this show, the eye of the storm. Um, and I think that's, that probably says a lot about where we're going. So uh, Laura, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, it, it's super exciting to talk to you. Um, I've had a few different sort of, uh, we've done a number of shows with retailers, including with Ivy Ronquillo, who I know you know um, uh, well, and um, <laughs> and who is a dear friend of mine. Um, and we've also done recently some shows we last spoke to her after her first year in business and uh, just before COVID started. And then after COVID, I did a show with Elena, kind of talking about my experience. And then I brought on Mateo from Jasper Hill and Tyler from Roland Foods. Um, but we haven't talked to another retailer since the beginning of COVID. So um, if, if you want to sort of take a few minutes and just, yeah, I know there's so much to talk about, but why don't you tell us... Um, how you're feeling, how you're doing, and and give us the lay of the land uh, as it exists now. Yeah, well, um, well, like everybody else, it's it's been a ride for sure. Um, right now, this moment, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, Chris and I feel pretty settled. The shops are sort of humming along. We're doing our thing. Everything's working. Um, it's a far cry from how it felt in March where we f- thought the world might be, you know, crashing in on us and had no idea what any of this was going to mean for our business. Uh, it like, was terrifying, wasn't it? It, it? it was truly terrifying. I don't think I slept for a whole week um, when I realized that we were probably going to have to, you know, lock customers out of the store and, you know, how were we going to, you know... It, what was really interesting is that we started 2020, excuse me, 2020 on a really, you know, just positive note. Business was really good in January and February, and we were trending like better than we than we have usually in in any January or February. Um, and it felt it felt great. You know, we were up significantly even in uh, our Fairfield store, which is the more mature store. And we were feeling really good. Um, you had the then, wind at your backs. <laughs> we had the wind at our backs for once. Um, right. You know, we, we were really feeling good. And then, you know, we started hearing rumblings um, in early March about COVID. Um, and then interestingly enough, uh, our lead monger, Matthew, and I had made a run up to Jasper Hill Farm uh, the week before we uh, closed down. Oh, wow. And Yeah, we went up to select some cheese, um, meet with the folks up there. We selected some amazing cheeses. And then, you know, just for a couple of days and then came back down and it was probably a week and a half later, we were shutting the doors um, to the store. So we went from, you know, selecting cheese to closing within a two-week period. So it's been a little bit, you know, it had been a little bit stressful, still kind of stressful, to be honest, but um, things have definitely stabilized. So, you know, plus we were going into the Easter sort of spring Easter holidays. 
which typically are, you know, pretty good for us. So I was super worried about how we were going to do Easter with, you know, no customers in the shop. So we pivoted right to curbside and online ordering. I spent about three days frantically putting our cheese case online. Uh, our online presence before had just been pretty, you know, pretty small. You could ship a gift box. You could order a cheese platter online, but that was pretty much it. And our online sales were really nothing. It, it was never a major channel for us um, at all. But we realized that we needed, we only had one phone line in each store. So we figured we better put in some kind of online ordering system. So Yeah, we, did, you, did your phones just blow up? Um. Yeah, once we, once we closed the door and I communicated that, you know, we were no longer going to be open for walk-in traffic, um, you know, I, I realized we had to give them a way to shop, obviously. So we, you know, I spent three days putting the catalog online um, and then sort of communicated that it was there to our customers. Our, our, you know, I've learned a couple of things about the pandemic or being pandemic ready. I feel like, I feel like there's so many. I want to hear these. I, I, let me get my pen yeah. out. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. So the number one thing that I was most grateful for was our email list. Um, oh, interesting. You know, people talk about email marketing all the time and it's something we've always done and we've been collecting emails pretty much since the first day we opened, you know, from various ways like in shop, but also, you know, online sign up forms, Facebook sign up forms, um, cheese school, like anytime someone comes to cheese school, they end up on our list. So our list has become, you know, it, it was sort of gold. And honestly, I, I credit the, the email list with really keeping us um, afloat. That and the constant study of social media. So, you know, right. social, social media is this thing that just everybody, you know, it's hard. It's hard to keep up with it. It's hard to, to do it. And I do actually do the social media myself for, for both stores. Um, you mean you don't and, have a social media attache uh, working no, for you on the TikTok no, making videos? No, <laughs> no, I wish so, I did. Um, really, how old but, both of us are, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, I I've been plugging away at it for years, and you know, we have okay engagement on on social media, but once we closed our doors, it really I could see pretty quickly how that that email list. And our social media presence, how I could use those things to sort of help keep us going. So we have, you know, we did that. We relied on that. We leaned right on in into it. And I communicated with our with our customers and our, you know, local base just exactly what was going on pretty much, you know, a couple of the times, you know, every day on social media. And then I started sending, you know, a newsletter at least once a week one to two wow. times a week. Yeah. Um, so just for comparison for us, we, um, yeah. we, we don't really do a ton with email marketing. I, I had, I've had negative experiences with email marketing just in general over the years. And I, I always get, I mean, the anxiety that I experience pressing the big MailChimp button <laughs> to send out emails, like just, I, I just am paranoid that a link is wrong or I've said something incorrect or oh, yeah. something. And, uh, yeah. Or that I've set the wrong list. 
Yeah. Yeah. You just so kind of have to get over that. <laughs> I know. I Right. And I just, I never, ever have. So we send perhaps like three emails a year. Yeah. Um, and we've also seen, you know, our, our engagement on, on by email is, isn't so great. Whereas Instagram is, is much better. Like people just, that's how they, that's how they get information about the store. They would go to Instagram before they would go to our website. And I imagine that's probably a function of age, age and sort of demographic difference between your customers and ours. Yeah, probably. Um, you know, we're, we're in the suburbs. So our, you know, average customer is, is definitely older than probably city Brooklyn customers for sure. Right. Our average customer is definitely under 30, I would say. Yeah. Ours is probably high 30s to 50 something. Gotcha. So, um, yeah. But, you know, but before the pre pandemic or pre COVID, <laughs> we, we, um, you know, I, I would do a newsletter, not quite weekly, maybe every other week. And our and our open rate was was pretty decent, actually. It was like around 20% or so on average. That's very which, decent. Which everyone says is decent. I don't know. I don't know much about marketing. But what I do know is that apparently that was good. So during the pandemic, when everybody was home, and I started communicating a little bit more with email art, open rate shot up to close to 30%. Yeah, I mean, that, that in my, I've never, we've never had a rate that high. Um, so, you know, so for me, that was definitely how I knew that, you know, talking to our customers, telling them exactly what was going on. And I didn't really sugarcoat anything with them either. I didn't pretend everything was okay. I, I was brutally honest with them and I think yeah. it sort of paid off. They, this is they something that's super interesting. Yeah. I'd love for you to, because we talked about this briefly in getting ready for the show and I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I just, that's I want, okay. I, I would love you to kind of highlight this because I think it's so, it's just so interesting. Um, you know, you talked about uh, how you didn't exactly give your customers an ultimatum, but you really spelled out what it meant for, for customers to shop with you versus say a, a, a large retailer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I my first email when when we announced that we were going to close our doors and move to you know curbside pickup only, you know, I I was sort of brutally honest with them and said I don't know what this is going to mean for our business, um, and and sort of pointed out to them that we really needed their support, um, and you know. At the same time, there was a lot of um, communication from cheesemakers who were really starting to struggle and freaking out about how they were going to, you know, they're all making cheese and no one's buying it. And there aren't very many outlets, you know, when they lose all their all those restaurant accounts. Um, I really took to heart their pleas um, being a cheese shop that does sell mostly cut to order cheese that I had sort of a obligation to really try and help them the best I could as well. And I communicated their plight to, um, to our uh, cheesemakers, you know, to our customers and also to, um, you know, just anyone that would listen, basically anyone, anyone that would listen. So on social media, I did it through the newsletter and they really, really answered the call. Like they came in, and specifically, you know, would call us and say, well, what, you know, 
what Vermont cheese do you have? You know, anything local? Like they were really, you know, taking up the cause. Um, That's great. Um, it was so hard to figure amazing. out how to support cheesemakers early on. And, you know, that you, you want to, you hear these, you hear these sort of plaintive cries from people that you respect and love and that you've worked with for years that are suffering and, and you want to help them. But you also, I, I, you know, I think I can speak for both of us when I say the bandwidth was pretty tight uh, <clears throat> when we were in the thick of it. And, uh, you know, you, you, I, I certainly felt obligated to try to help myself before anyone else and help my staff. Um, but it was, um, it's amazing that you were able to turn that need into like effectively a call to action um, for your customers. Yeah, it, it, it really, really worked. So, I mean, I think that the, you know, the fact that I've had that communication with them from the beginning, um, you know, whether it's through the newsletter or just in general, sort of our whole customer service um, you know, our mantra, so to speak, or or our ethos. Yes. And also, you know, our cheese school classes. So, you know, we've been doing, Chris and I have been doing those classes for over 10 years. So the relationships with our customers that we've developed through those classes are are pretty, pretty deep. Um, And, you know, the minute I expressed any kind of sort of fear and dismay about the business and then also about our producers they actively just fell in line and 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 have been so supportive over the last couple of months you know to the point where we yeah i was gonna say just to the point where we're we're fairly stable um as a business right now yeah that was sort of that was where i was going to go next but it also i think like to distill the the lesson or, or distill the, the kind of kernel here, I, it feels like if you're there for your customers and engage with them all along, um, when the rubber meets the road and things get kind of hairy, you can, you know, you've built up enough goodwill and enough relationships that you can lean on them and they'll be there for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think that that's what, honestly, what's gotten us through, um, yeah, you know, something they, I've, I've talked about a lot as the sort of thing that differentiates small retailers, the, the way that we sort of hold our own against the Walmarts and Amazons of the world is, is customer service and relationship building and curation. And, you know, we're never going to be the cheapest. We're never going to have the widest selection or the uh, best delivery apparatus. Um, but we we can tell you all about the cheese to the point that you've gone up and selected the cheese right before the pandemic. And, um, exactly. And you have those relationships going back years. So. Yep, exactly. So, you know, I think that that is a, you know, a huge lesson for, I mean, I think that's a good lesson for any small business. Um, definitely a good lesson for an independent cheese shop is how important those relationships, you know, with your customers are. Um, and, and quite frankly, your relationship with your producers as well, because, you know, if I didn't care about those producers, my customers wouldn't care about those producers. So I, th- I think that's, it's all really important. Well, I think that's, that's a, it's a, it's a positive thing to take out of all of this, that those, that those relationships, whether um, uh, s- sort of calamities such as the one we're experiencing. Um, you, so, so you guys are, are more or less 
hitting projections for what you were expecting for this year in spite of the pandemic or are you up or down? And I'll just not to put you on the spot. Um, like foster sundry is, is up over last year. Um, the, we started out the year kind of comping more or less what we projected roughly the same as we had last year by percentage. And then we had a couple of really rough weeks at the beginning of the pandemic. And then, uh, well, at the very beginning, we had amazing sales because I think people didn't right. know what was happening and they really wanted to fill their larders with fancy pasta and Parmesan and canned tomatoes. Yep. Uh, and then we yep. had several rough weeks that caused us to, to question whether it was all worth it. Um, and then we kind of evened out into like a, a you know, a, a stable, people were buying, spending different amounts of money, buying different things. We had way fewer customers, but they were buying more. Um, so what's been, tell us, tell us where you're at. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's so interesting. I was looking at the numbers um, today just quickly to see, to see sort of where we are and we're definitely up over last year. Um, we're not up as much as I would have, as I thought. Um, I would say Fairfield's up like 10 to 15% overall. Greenwich is up like 20% overall. Um, but where we're really up is online sales. Right. So I was looking at our online sales last year versus this year so far, and we're up 500%. Holy moly. This is basically yeah. what Brie was on, saying on, on, yeah, on Elena's show, um, which was just like, um, you know, we all <clears throat> going into this, we all kind of had cobbled together versions of an, of an e-commerce experience. If that wasn't something yeah. that we had uh, specialized in, but none of us really, it was, it was always, I always think of it as more of a pain in the ass than, uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> than a, than a revenue driver. And, and this, this pandemic seems to have very much dramatically changed that model. Yeah, I think, I think it definitely has. And, and I think that, you know, for now it's definitely here to say, and I think it's forcing some of us to, to really look at it. Um, you know, I, I never spent that much time on it because I really figured, you know, the bigger guys sort of had that covered, right. You know, am I going to compete on online sales with Murray's? Am I going to compete with Zingerman's? Absolutely not. They're, they're behemoths in that space. You know, we, we sold some gift baskets online, you know, more as a service for our, our customers um, in the shop who wanted to send something to their mother or their sister. You know, they wanted to share our store specifically with, with their friends and family. So that's why we did that. Um, it was never anything we, you know, really pushed because shipping cheese, as we all know, is really hard and it's hot and it's, you know, expensive. It's super, super expensive. So, you know, it's it's not something I was really jumping up and down to, to you know, count on as a sales channel. Um, you know, our bread and butter is cut to order cheese in our shops. Um, the one thing I did take a quick look at is that, you know, I, I think Fairfield and Greenwich cheese is a little bit unique in the, even in the independent cheese shop scene, you know, over pre pandemic, about 52% of all our sales is cut to order cheese. Wow. Um, wow that is, that is quite is, unique. Yeah. This is very the dirty unique. secret of cheese shops, like cut to order yeah. cheese shops in America is 
every cheese shop that you know is far less a cheese shop than it is a sandwich shop or a grocery yeah. store. Um, well, ex- exactly. Yeah. And ours, you know, is and that's 10% maybe. <laughs> right. And that's something, you know, that, that portion of the business is that way because that is what we wanted it to be. I, you know, I didn't want to be a cafe. I never didn't want to, you know, make people lunch all day. It just was not what we wanted to do as a business from the beginning. So we fought and clung to, to our original mission. And, and, you know, I, I think in a, in a sense, we've proven it can be done. Um, it's super hard to do. <laughs> and, you know, I do think we give up, you know, probably revenue because we don't do the other things. But um, I, when I took a look to see what the, our year-to-date cheese sales are compared to, you know, last, so last year it was almost 53%. And this year, um, from January to now, is 60%. Is, has uh, been cut to, wow. Cut to wow. order. That's cheese. wild. Which that really surprised me. I mean, I I knew that like we've been selling a lot of you know big chunks of cheese. Like people are buying, coming in and buying buying Parmigiano. Like every week they're coming to buy it, which you know before they would buy it maybe once a month or once well, every they, other week. They got to put something on all that pasta that they stockpiled. It, exactly, exactly. And <laughs> Gruyere, it's like I can't keep Gruyere in stock. It's insane. I know it's so strange. So you know so. It's funny, you know, one of the questions you had asked me was about, you know, has the pandemic changed our business? And I don't really think it's changed what what we what we do. We've been doing the same thing since we opened and that's selling cheese, you know, cut to order by a cheesemonger um, you know, from the beginning and and we sort of have just stuck to that. Because I think that's at this point the only thing we know how to do. Um, you know, our our small, tiny bit of restaurant business obviously dried up for a while. A couple of them have come back. I mean, and when I mean small, I mean like we sell cheese to like six restaurants right. um, locally. Um, and then you know that that's about it. We we don't really have a ton of sales channels. Um, in our shops. So really this whole, you know, cut to order cheese. Now, do you do delivery? Uh, No. So again, I, we don't really have that capability. Um, You know, my husband, if he's around, I'll sometimes like if it's in Fairfield, I'll have him, you know, send him out. (laughs) Yeah. Send him out, deliver a gift basket for us. Um, But we really don't do local delivery. You know, that's something in the fall that for, I think we would only do it like within Fairfield and within Greenwich. Um, you know, we might add that to the mix or maybe find a delivery service that doesn't take too much money. I don't know. I don't know. They seem to be fine coming to pick up curbside. So. Yeah. I mean, I guess if it's interesting that this is a difference while we're both in the Northeast and I feel like the pandemic affected Connecticut, New York, roughly you know, the same kind of intensity, um, in, in Connecticut, you can hop in your car and you're in a bubble and you can drive somewhere and <clears throat> have something, somebody put something in your trunk or whatever, and then drive yep. home. And yep. send mm-hmm. time yeah. New York, you can't really do that. 
Exactly. And that's, that's what, you know, they did. They, they weren't really screaming for delivery. Um, I would imagine in the city, like you kind of got to figure out delivery. Um, yeah. I mean, we, and we definitely didn't <laughs> um, at the beat. Like we, we really struggled with that. Um, and, and the analogy I've used repeatedly is like trying to build a, to repair a car while it's moving. Yeah. Um, and we just, we really struggled with that. Um, but it's something that we've, we're, we're now sort of taking this, this lull in the storm to, uh, or this eye in the storm, I should say. I'm going to continue with the analogy and, uh, to try and, and use this time effectively to prepare for the, for the next round. Yeah. Um, and maybe, maybe this is a good time to, um, to just stop, uh, now that we're at kind of an inflection point and take a, take a quick moment to hear from our sponsors. So again, this is Cutting the Courage on the Heritage Radio Network. We're going to take a moment to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be back with uh, Laura Logostani of Fairfield Greenwich Cheese Company. All right, thanks. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Hello, welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I am your host, Aaron Foster, here with Lara Logos Downey of the Fairfield and Greenwich Cheese Shops and the Cheesemonger Box. Um, yeah, so we, we kind of left it there uh, discussing sort of where, you know, looking backwards, let's say. Um, but maybe maybe let's kind of pivot, look at now, and then, and then try to look forward. Um, and one thing I, I sort of regret or, or, or missed asking you is, you guys staying healthy, uh, your staff staying healthy, everyone okay? Yeah, so far everyone's been fine. We've had a couple people get tested because they hadn't been feeling well and everyone was negative, too much to our uh, relief. Right. Um, but yeah, every everyone's been fine. You know, everyone, everyone on our staff's really taking precautions. No one is, you know going to the bars, no one's traveling. Everyone's pretty been really really cooperative. You know, basically we we were pretty we were pretty clear that they they needed if they wanted to be able to work and come to work that they had to follow all the guidelines and that we would prefer that they were social distancing and not going out with tons of friends. You know, it's been a little more challenging since things have opened up a little bit. Yes, um, I found that as well a little more movement around, but, you know, I've reminded them a couple of times and you know what, they've really all been awesome. Um, most of them just really don't want to catch it. Um, <laughs> right, so, it's terrifying. And uh, yeah, it's, I don't know if you're, if your staff's use younger and mine does. And we, we definitely had one person who uh, was, we, we've all, we've, we have periodic meetings where we sort of, talk about the fact that the risk that you take is not simply a risk for yourself, but it's a risk for everyone that you work with as well. Yeah, um, exactly. We all, 
we really, it, you know, it's a, it's a, we've, we've agreed as a group, as a small group, but as a dedicated group that we're, uh, we are effectively potting together and it's yep. a shared risk profile. And yeah, um, that requires a level of responsibility that is above and beyond. And, and, um, some people need that lesson a couple of times. And so I had one, one staff member go out a couple of weeks ago, uh, sick and who, the one who I, if I was to have guessed who would misbehave, mm-hmm. it would have been this person. And so we were, we were scared, but, uh, turned out to be food poisoning. Uh, ah, tested and God. came back negative. We do have several employees. We have one employee, uh, that went out sick was not confirmed, but, uh, because there was a time when there was no testing. Yeah. Um, but was out for over, over six weeks. Um, wow. and, got, and got very sick. Um, that was like early March before, you know, when things were really scary and unknown. And, yeah. uh, and then we have several employees that have tested positive for antibodies, but don't have ever experienced symptoms. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's basically what we've done too. And, you know, honestly, most of our staff, like they've all sort of expressed their, they're really happy that they, everyone still has a job, you know, because they, they were feeling the stress too back in March when we didn't know what was going to happen. Like for all we knew, like no one was going to come buy cheese um, and that the whole shop could be at risk. So they took it really seriously. And I think they, they've all been working so hard and, you know, under weird conditions, you know, it's, it's mentally tiring to wear a mask all day. And, you know, now that we're letting people back in the shop, you, you feel a little bit like a police officer in the shop. You know, did you use the sanitizer? You know, are they wearing a mask? Please don't reach over the counter. You know, you kind of, it, it's a little operating like this is a little exhausting, um, which is, which is why we, we actually did reduce our hours a little bit. Um, so both shops are now just open from 10 to six Monday through Saturday. Um, which we used to be open till seven and Fairfield was open till eight on Friday and Saturdays. So, you know, and this is I, a I response think... to like, just, I mean, does that, mm-hmm. do, would you say that that, I mean, it's obviously a cost saving measure and, and a safety measure, but I, in my experience, people are just spending more time at home and not out as late. Yeah. Uh, well, we noticed that for sure, but I think a lot of it just had to do with, you know, how we were all feeling and working a full day under these, you know, right. just get, like getting out of days. work at, right. Getting out of work at six, being home by six thirty, um, you know, quarter of seven is a lot nicer than being home at seven thirty, quarter of eight. Um, and it really hasn't hurt our business at all. So, you know, sales are fine. So I think everyone's really appreciative um, of that. And like I said, they've all worked so hard. Um, so we really appreciate them at the moment. Um, are you experiencing, uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll just come out. We're, I, we are extremely pro-mask. And, uh, uh, you know, we don't really don't really uh, have a lot of uh, patience for COVID idiots that, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that just refuse to wear a mask or, or, or uh, accuse us of playing into the scam demic or the planned demic as we've both heard yes um <laughs> i was just you know, <laughs> you know I was, please go on 
I was just going to say, you know, out here in the suburbs, like out, we, we've all been really compliant. We have had very few people, you know, I, I, a couple of people got a little upset when I asked them to pull the mask all the way up over their nose. You know, overall, though, our customers have been super respectful. We're, we're pretty much, a, you know, no mask, no service kind of place. Yes. At this point, it's posted, it's been social media, it's newslettered, it's, you know, everyone has really complied um, really nicely. So we haven't really had much trouble out here. <laughs> I, had, I had two people today alone that I had to ask to leave because they weren't wearing masks. And, uh, wow. and then a, and a FedEx driver. Oh, but, uh, that's lame. That's uh, right. Super lame. I've, and it's the second time in a week. That's, um, but it's funny. I, I go back and I, I just happened to, I was wondering how I had approached this in the, and I went back and looked at my, uh, my first communication on, on COVID, which was on March 1st to my staff. Um, and I said, don't, don't wear a mask at work and I won't be buying a mask for myself. And, we should save them for medical professionals, and they're yeah. not that useful. And and uh, I was so wrong on that point. But <laughs> well, we were going by what they were telling us. So. We were. I, I linked I mean, to I, the CDC, and I linked to uh, other people, other yeah. places, the New York Times. But so interesting. Yep. Uh, so what do you? You know, I think we're we'll come back now to the the title of the show, which is the eye of the storm. And, and, and I've used this, maybe I've beaten a dead horse a bit, but I, I really do feel it, it feels right now. Like we have this sort of temporary reprieve uh, in New York city and in the tri-state area um, where, you know, we, we faced the worst of it first. Um, and, and I include Connecticut, New Jersey in that, like we, you know, yep. all of us together, just, it was rough. Um, and, now we see all these sort of infections spreading out across the country and obviously and sort of predictably affecting areas that didn't have high trust in government and that didn't have uh, high trust in, in mask wearing and, and, and safety measures. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's coming around to bite them in the butt. Um, but I, you know, that said, like our infections, our initial infections went there, and and it only stands to reason that those infections will bounce back uh, and hit us like a drunk man peeing against a wall. So I guess I, <laughs> I guess I yeah. wonder, like, are you, you know, what what kind of things are you doing to to prepare and to to set things up for the next round? Yeah, um, I mean. That's pretty much the first, like, I, I'm thinking about that every day. Um, I would say the biggest thing we're working on right now is a brand new website, um, which, you know, was is always expensive and not always, you know, something oh. I jump up and down to do. Um, but I did realize pretty quickly that, you know, our online ordering system was very much, you know, patchwork and and not the best experience for the customer. And quite frankly, uh, not a very great experience for us on the other end when we were pulling the orders and trying to fill them. It just was really clunky, um, a really clunky system because it really wasn't meant for online shopping. You know, we just hobbled it together in an emergency kind of situation. So, you know, thinking about what 
is it going to be like fourth quarter? You know, because we all sort of know at this point that we're going to be operating like this for at least probably the next year, realistically. Yeah, I mean, that's this is what um, <laughs> you're saying, yeah. the dirty words sort of, but it's, it's, it is the, the, it, the truth that it, we're all acknowledging. It is the truth. And so, you know, so what can we do to make the experience better? And definitely the first thing, you know, that we looked at was the website. Um, and its clunkiness. So we hope to have a new website up by the end of August, early September with, you know, much better, you know, shopping experience for customers. Um, it, you know, it'll be like when we have to ship anything, it'll, you know, we won't have to create Fed, separate FedEx labels in another system. We'll be able to just, you know, automatically create shipping labels, you know, You'll generally gonna, increase efficiency and hopefully increase yeah. sort of conversion and uh, finally lean into the website in a more meaningful way. Exactly. Exactly. So, so that was the first thing. And then the second thing that we're just starting to work on now, like over the next couple of months is really trying to, you know, help our staff with the language of cheese. So, you know, we're not, we're not sampling, right? So, right. you know, yes, of course. At at all and you know, we rely heavily in our shop on sampling to sell cheese. So, you know, having to describe a cheese to somebody uh, is is the whole, you know, without using the exact same words every single time, you know, it's nutty. <laughs> it's it's nutty. like oh, it's sharp. It's 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 it's, yeah. oh, it's you know, you know, we're all describing texture more than we're describing flavor, you know, so all of that. So we're going to try and do some training sessions. We have our first one next week with Doug Jacknick from Columbia Cheese. Oh, nice. Um, and he's going to help us work on that with our staff, especially some of our newer staff. You know, we've we have a couple people that sort of started right as this was all happening at I have one person that's never sold cheese any other way. Actually, two people <laughs> wow. who have never sold cheese any other way. Could you imagine? It's crazy. Um, so, yeah. So working on that and trying, trying helping them, you know, trying to help them get some language. Um, e- even our more seasoned people, you know, really getting them to think about how they're describing things to customers. Um you know, we're, we're all still tasting. Um, we do that pretty much daily and every, every week when we reset the cheese cases. So we all know what everything is, but. Well, and I would argue that tasting you know, is even more important now, given that you, you know, you can't, oh, yeah. you know, the customer can't taste it. So you're, you're taking on all of the burden. You can't just, sometimes the easy way out is to just say, here, try this and, uh, you know, let them oh, make yeah. the call. Like, now, you know, yep. you bear the full burden of trying to communicate what this tastes like and what I've always sort of fondly called cheese divination, just trying to kind of suss <laughs> out a customer and, uh, and you know, and figure and just, out yeah, just where they figure are. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's, uh, I think tasting is, is hugely important um, uh, right now. And, and we are obviously doing the same thing, not, not offering samples and um, just uh, basically trading on, on our our customers trust. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've been trading on that this whole time, really. And, you know, like I said before, they, they've answered the call and they do put their trust in us. Um, but, you know, I, I want to I be able to make sure that the customer experience doesn't suffer too much. So really trying to come up with the right language and, and just in describing it to them, I think would be really valuable as we move into the fall, into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think so, that's really I mean, smart. I'm I'm going with the with the whole, you know, possibility that we might have to like literally lock the doors again. Mm-hmm. So and, and if we don't, you know, we're still limited to the amount of people in the store. So you know, leaning heavily into this curbside uh, pickup and the online ordering, I think is, you know, where most of our prep is going to be. Yeah, we are also sort of um, just operating on the assumption that uh, things are going to close down. And while we are considered an essential business, um, you know, the more we can do to protect our staff and customers from each other uh, going into the next round, um, that's that's kind of where we're at, um, and you know we def- we never closed up here to customers at all. We didn't do curbside. We we took calls from people and did our best to help out, but um, we really encouraged people to 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 come in, but limiting it to six people in at a time and doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing. Um, but I think this kind of brings me into my last question, which is just um, you know, do you feel like uh, Amazon, Walmart, Wegmans, Whole Foods, th- these guys all have um, a head start insofar as they have a well-developed infrastructure for uh, online grocery retail. And I feel like a lot of um, our customers come to us for, and, I, and when I say our, I mean yours and mine, um, come to us for the customer service experience and for the curation and for the quality. Um, my fear is that the the sort of danger of shopping and the, the danger and difficulty and inconvenience and expense of shopping with a small retailer now that we don't offer enough to keep people shopping with us and that eventually this the pandemic will push people into the arms of larger retailers because they're better equipped to handle, say, curbside or touchless, contactless deliveries and orders and things. Yeah, you know, I don't know. we. We always, you know, Chris always says, just let's keep doing what we've been doing. Um, You know, that's always sort of his, you know, unofficial motto uh, and not worry too much about what those big box retailers are doing. You know, we're never going to compete with them on price. But like you said, we definitely can outcompete them on quality of cheese, the care of the cheese you know, the customer service, the knowledge, um, you know, we, we quite frankly, you know, here have outcompeted our local Whole Foods, um, no problem. Like our cheese selection is way better. Their cheese selection, you know, is, is very small at this point because our customers really, you know, value those things. So my hope is that some of the consumer behavior might shift. Um, well, it's, you know, we found that it, it has shifted. Right. I think so the opposite of saw, what I'm postulating. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think it might be the opposite of that. I think that, you know, what, you know, I, what, what do we always say? We always say, you know, once you taste really good, good cheese, it's super hard to go back to the grocery store cheese. Um, and, you know, even though some of those stores might occasionally carry something similar to what we have, ours inevitably is always going to taste better. Right. And they're always going to get exactly what they want from us. You know, it's never a pre-cut. It's always how much, you know, how little or how big they want. Um, I think they can taste the difference in freshly cut cheese. And I think that, you know, during this whole pandemic, you know, we've seen our cut to order cheese sales increase. And I'm hoping that that is going to stick. I, I think that consumer behavior, you know, maybe to our surprise might, might be, it might be a permanent change that once they, they've enjoyed it and experienced it. And on top of that, they, they really have wanted to support small and local businesses. You know, the media has done a pretty good job out there of talking about, you know, all the small restaurants and the independent shops needing support. And people have answered that call. So I don't think that they're going to just all of a sudden say, oh, this pandemic's driving me crazy. I'm just going to go to Walmart, you know. Sure. That's... And and I, I think it's going to stick. I'm hoping I mean, it's going to I, really I like stick. that. Uh, I, I, I revel and relish the optimism. <laughs> it's, I, you know, I, I'm a cynic on this point. But, and maybe it's different because I live in New York. and. I've watched the sort of convenience shoppers. I mean, even my wife, right? She, she shops on Instacart or Fresh Direct because I can't be relied upon necessarily to bring the exact type of grocery home that she might need. Um, and that like working professionals, um, you know, look for a certain level of convenience and that that's worth sacrificing a certain level of quality or what have you. But, my hope is there's enough of those people that you're describing out there to keep us in business. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think there is, I think there is. Well, my very, very last question is uh, I just wanted to sort of spend a moment thinking on um, our friends in Texas and in Florida um, and in California um, that are now kind of, you know, a, a, not necessarily with the population density, but certainly with like the number of cases um, are, are, are finding themselves in the same place we found ourselves in um, March, April, and May. Um, do you have any advice for, for store owners there? Anything specific that you, know, you want to point out and uh, any words of wisdom that you might be able to share? Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I, think, I think depending on what your shop model is, you know, is definitely going to have an influence on what you are going to do and how you can survive. You know, I think like the shops that are heavily on that sort of cafe model are probably struggling a little bit more to, to pivot and find, they have to come up with more innovative ways, you know, to, to sort of fill the gap, right. Of when, you know, the margin on a cheese plate and the glass of wine that someone would come in and have, or the sandwich that they take out, you know, for lunch. Um, 
so I, I think, you know, for shops that are sort of that model, you know, I would encourage everybody to really lean in and, and, and start getting the message out there, you know, whether people are cooking with cheese and, and just getting them to buy more cut to order cheese. You know, I, I think you can, I think shops can make it on cut to order cheese, but you have to be really um, proactive in, in delivering the message to customers. Um, you know, I've seen some of them do these amazing, you know, sort of cheese plates to go where they're making boxes. And like, I think that kind of pivoting and innovation is really going to help them. Um, you know, the shops that are more, you know, sell more cut to order cheese than, than cafe, you know, I would always, you know, say like Chris, you know, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, I think overall everyone's doing okay. So, you know, I know there've been a few shop closures, you know, whether they're COVID related or they were coming down the pike anyway, you know, it's hard to say. Um, but, you know, as a group, I think we all have to fight pretty hard uh, to stay in business. Um, right. On a good day. <laughs> on a good day. On a good day. But I've seen a lot of shops do amazing things. Um, you know, the Antonelli's down in Texas have their event programming has been through the roof. I think that has really helped sustain them, you know, because they sold, a, they had a huge restaurant business that sort of evaporated. So they really needed to to pivot uh, onto holes, more events. Yeah. yeah, to fill the holes. And, you know, Louise down in uh, Sarasota, That's Florida, cool. yeah. you know, she she's in a, she's in a real hot zone there. And, um, you know, she's had to, she's, opened and closed and reopened and then closed the door again. Um, but, you know, I think like us, she has a really strong customer base and a really loyal customer base. So, you know, as long as she keeps messaging them, I think, you know, she'll be fine too. Um, well, it sounds know, like I think uh, we, we just have to keep doing it. Keep doing <laughs> it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, well, I mean, I think, you know, I think that's, I think that's a, a message largely of optimism that I think we can leave it at. Um, well, gosh, um, Laura, it was so great to have you on. And I, I really, really appreciate you kind of sharing your experience and, and your time with us. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Um, okay, listeners. Well, um, that's it for this show. Uh, thank you again to Laura Downey of Fairfield Vintage Cheese and um, thank you so much uh, for tuning in and listening to my shows. Uh, uh, this is going to be the, my last show of the summer season and uh, as a regular contributor, but I wouldn't be surprised to pop in now and again as, a, as an alumnus uh, with something fun for you. Um, so again, thanks for listening to Cutting the Curd. My name is Darren Foster. I'll see you later. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.